God has made his residence in you and in me and that he's taken up a home inside of us and he dwells in us and God dwelling in us is our ticket to soul rest. Because at the end of the day, we we know that we need rest. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Well, good morning, First Presbyterian Church. Good morning. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get to Hebrews chapter 3. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Charlie Buchanan. I have been the junior high director here at First Press for almost three years now. So, um, as many of you know, these are my people here in the front row. So, hello, guys. It takes a certain bit of mental instability to work with them on a daily basis, so I covet your prayers. Just kidding, I love you guys. Um, It has been actually two years to the day since I have been in this pulpit, so I am humbled to be back, so thank you for this opportunity. Uh, Join me now as we pray. Father, you're good, you're holy, you're perfect, and so we are excited for what you have for us today, God. I pray now, God, that you would get me out of the way and you would stir our hearts to affection for you. Uh, You would convict of sin, you would purge of evil, and you would draw us closer to your love, God. Uh, May your Holy Spirit illuminate these words now in our hearts. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. Uh, Two weekends ago, my wife and I hopped in her car, and we got on I-85 South heading towards Atlanta. And about two hours later, we ended up in a little college town you might have heard of called Athens, Georgia. Uh, Any UGA fans in here? All right, three of you, good. All right, so, (laughs) small minority. Uh, So we were there, and we met up with her family, who is from Savannah, Georgia. And while we were there, we were there specifically to see her younger sister. There's two younger sisters. This is the middle of those two. Uh, Her name is Katie, and she is a junior in the music arts program there and just has the voice of an angel. And so her music is captivating and mesmerizing. And so we were excited to go down to Athens to see her perform. And we were looking forward to being able to catch up with family and just spend a weekend with really no plans. So we, we had had no plans. We had nothing to do. We just had time to fellowship. And so we were excited about that. And after the performance, we went to this kind of nice upscale Italian restaurant that I was very relieved that I didn't have to pay for. And so we hung out there for several hours and just ate and talked and lived life in the moment. We had fun. We caught up on stories and we laughed and uh, we mourned a few things and, and just looked forward to what was going to be happening in our lives. And it was a great time. Uh, and it was such a good night that really it was exhausting. Like, have you ever had one of those days where it's so good that at the end of it, you're like, give me a pillow because I am done. Uh, that's how this day was. And so my wife and I walked back to our hotel room and I learned never to trust my wife with booking a hotel room uh, because I found out on the way down there we were splitting the room with her parents, uh, which no, uh, I love them, but, uh, but there, there's actually a divider in the room and so it wasn't bad. And so we walked in the room and I cranked the AC down to 48 because it's not my power bill and I pulled the, pulled the blankets back and I laid down and before my head even hit the pillow, I was out. I mean, I was asleep and I was exhausted. Uh, at about 2 a.m., 
Uh, we were awakened very abruptly by an alarm. There was a siren going off, and there was an automated voice, as polite as it was, it was very disturbing, uh, it said, please evacuate the building, there's an emergency. Uh, as if I wouldn't have evacuated if it didn't say please. Uh, like, no, you were rude, so I'm staying. Uh, so. Uh, just a very interesting experience, and so we, we run, my fight or flight mechanism kicked in, so I was wide awake, and the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up, and I turned into Liam Neeson from Taken, and we run downstairs, and my wife is like, what about my baby sister? I'm like, baby, she can fend for herself. Um, you know, it's survival of the fittest right now, and I'm in shape. And so we were running, and uh, outside, and my wife had this kind of grimace on her face, and so I came up to her, and it was 2.30, or 2, 2, 2.30, remind you, and I came and I said, what's wrong? And she goes, I just know you had something to do with this. I'm like, baby, what? <laughs> like, I was by you the whole time. <laughs> um, but somehow I got blamed. And come to find out later, there was a... Um, let's say less than sober college student who thought it would be funny to go and pull the fire alarm in this hotel. So we all evacuated, hundreds of people evacuated, and we got back in after everything was all cleared, the fire marshal came through, and we were allowed to go back into our rooms, and I laid down, and I'm a person who, when there's an emergency, when something happens, I have to decompress. I need to talk it out. Uh, I just want you to sit and listen. You can respond. And so I'm sitting there talking, and we're both lying in bed. My wife and I are lying in bed, and I'm talking to her. I'm like, that was crazy. Um, I just feel very pumped right now, like I could go run, and I hear my wife snoring, and I look over, and this had been five minutes, she's back in REM sleep, and, and so for the rest of the night, I am staring at the ceiling, and every time the AC comes on, every time a car goes by, like, I mean, my whole body just winces, like, oh, oh what's happening now? Um, needless to say, the night wasn't very restful. Uh, I, I stayed awake most of the night when I did fall asleep. It was one of those where you would fall asleep but then wake up every 30 minutes or so and look at the clock and roll back over. It was a terrible night. Uh, and if I was just honest, I don't think I've ever been able to rest well in hotels. Uh, I've always had difficulty entering into rest. Now, I can go to sleep, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm resting. And so I've had trouble. And I used to think it was because we were young and poor, um, and it was just kind of a cheap hotel. And even as God has blessed us and we've gotten older, um, I, I still just cannot fall asleep in hotels. Uh, and even this applies to even like friends' houses. If we go out of town, I, can't, I just can't go to sleep. I, I don't do that well. I don't Enter, in, enter into rest. Um, but my home, my home is a completely different story. I can rest in my house. Like in my house, I can fall asleep anywhere in my home, in my bed, on my couch, on my computer desk, on the floor. It doesn't matter. I'll make a bed out of it. I can rest in my house. There is something about the well-lived-in familiarity of my home that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what happened at work, no matter what's happening in my social life, I can walk in that front door and I can enter into rest. And when I walk in my front door, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to take my shoes off and put some gym shorts on. I'm going to go to the refrigerator and get a glass of either Crystal Light Lemonade or Lipton Diet Green Tea because you've got to keep this looking a 10 for the ladies, right? And so, um, that's not funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I do that. I'll walk upstairs, and then at the end of our hallway is this couch that we got, and, and we bought this couch. It was a treat for me and my wife when we got our first ever tax return. So we were celebrating being responsible adults by blowing money. Uh, and so we went out and bought this huge couch, and my spot, there's four cushions on this couch, my spot is the second one from the right. 
And to this day, on that cushion, there is an indent and, and some blue marks from why I've sat there so many times in blue jeans that my blue jeans have faded onto that spot because that is my spot. And when I sit there, I am resting. I love my home. I know the rules of my house. Like, I know that you don't walk around in shoes in my house. We just don't like that. I don't know what to do with my shoes if I come to your house. Do I take them off? Do I leave them on? Where can I walk? Where can I not walk? I know how to get food in my home. I know what I can cook, what's in the cabinets. If I'm hungry at your house, I don't know what to do. I would starve before I asked you what to do. I just don't know what to do. I panic in those situations. I know the rules and I know that my wife's going to be there and my wife loves me for me. There's this transparency in my home. And you guys know me, uh, but you know me, the youth minister. And as, as transparent as I try and be, there's just some things you'll never know about me because you're not my wife. And I know that my wife loves me and that there's very little expectation out of me. Uh, I, I love my house. I can rest at my house. And I don't think this is random. I don't think this is a fluke. I think that this is an image that God has woven into the fabric of creation that God has given to us to tell us, one, how He is, but two, what He has for us. And so today in Hebrews chapter 3, as we look at this, and I, I don't think I'm reaching on this point because six times Paul is going to use the word house or home here. I don't think I'm reaching for this. So uh, just as a warning, here's how I teach. I'm going to read a little bit. In fact, I'm just going to read one word here in a second, and then I'm going to stop and talk, all right? And so that's what we're going to do. I'm always going to keep you up to date on what verse we're in. So verse 1, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, all right, let's stop. I promised you that, so I'll stop. I know you wanted that. Uh, if, you, if you take notes, get ready. Uh, here's four years of seminary lumped up into one sentence for you. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, what do you do with it? Find out what it's there for. All right, mind-blowing, I know. All right, whenever you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. It's going to provide you with the context. So, in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians who just converted from Judaism. All right, now their friends, the people in their social, social circles, social circles, sorry, um, their buddies are coming down pretty hard on them and ostracizing them for betraying Judaism, for leaving the faith. And so they've been ostracized, they've been labeled as outcasts, and they have been banned from coming to synagogue. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound all that terrible. Yeah, it stinks, but still not the end of the world. In the first century, being banned from the synagogue didn't just mean you couldn't come to worship anymore. It meant that you were ostracized from all social circles because synagogue was the hub of social life. So if you were banned from there, you were on the outskirts of society. So because of them becoming Christians, they have basically been kicked out of society. And Paul is saying to them, don't give up. Do not abandon your faith. Remain faithful. Stay the course. Fight the good fight. Do not betray. And in chapter 2, he gives the example of Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus took on flesh and a human nature in this thing called the hypostatic union. And he came down and he lived the perfect life. And he was beaten and he was scourged and he had railroad-sized spikes driven through his wrists. There was no word in Koine Greek to explain how painful the crucifixion was. So they had to invent a word. That word is excruciating. Jesus suffered excruciating punishment for you and I. That you and I could be saved, that you and I could enter into rest. He went through un 
unbearable punishment and pain. And so Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Therefore, or in light of these things, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. Stop there. So in this text, we're, we're being told there's this idea being unpacked that God has a house, God has a home, God has a, a cushion on the sofa where he rests, and he is inviting us into that, that there is this invitation from God on high, enthroned in glory, holy upon holy upon holy, allowing us or inviting us to enter in to rest. And we understand and we find out that God has this house. He has this place. And I want to clear up um, a misperception because in the model of church that I grew up in, the house or the home of God was taught to me that it was a physical location, that it was a four-wall, brick, mortar, sheetrock, red carpet, pews, that the house of God, the literal dwelling place of Jesus was the church. Like if you swung by the church on a Tuesday at noon and went into the break room, Jesus would be heating up his lean cuisine or something. Like that's where Jesus actually dwelt. And so that had huge ramifications for my life. It made me nervous about going to church because what if I accidentally wore jeans? I don't know how you accidentally wear jeans, but what if I did? Well, then God would be dishonored in his own home. What if I accidentally had a hat on? Would God be offended? And so I was very nervous about going to church. Um, but here's the deal. Nowhere in the scripture, and this might ruffle some feathers, and I might get some emails, but let me finish uh, before you send an email, because you can do that right now. Um, Nowhere in the scriptures do they say that the house or the home of God is a physical location. All right, now if you're a Bible scholar, you're quick on your feet, you just had a red flag go up because you're thinking Old Testament. Well, what about the temple? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Um, the temple. The temple was a monument that stood amongst God's people that said God dwells within the covenant community of grace. That God himself lives amongst his people. The temple was not the literal, physical house of God. And the reason I know this is because every time the Israelites start believing that way, God rebukes them. In Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2, the Israelites are starting to believe this way, and God says to them, the heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. What would you build for me? Uh, there was a recent Gallup survey that came out, and it was talking about the most lucrative uh, career paths within the field of ministry. Uh, and it wasn't shocking to me when I read this. Did you know that youth ministry is by um, a 13% margin the most lucrative career you can go into in ministry? That's a joke. <laughs> it's public records. You can check it. <laughs> so, um, that would be like me. me. Me trying to build God a home would be the equivalent of me taking my salary, which is, you know, okay. Um, but if there's some powerful people in the room, you can help me out here. Um, would it be the equivalent of me taking my salary and building Rockefeller a home? And him going, yeah, I appreciate that, but I make your salary every like 16 seconds, so no thanks. But that's the equivalent. God is saying, you stand on the earth that I created, and you look into the heavens that I rule. You're going to build a house for me? 
The Apostle Paul is standing before the congregation at Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, and he looks at them and he says, God does not dwell in temples made of human hands. Do you know why, First Pres, that this is significant? Because at this time, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. And Paul says, God doesn't live in a house. God doesn't live in temples made of human hands. But this text does tell us something about the house of God. So it's not, it's not a physical building, but it does have a servant. It says Moses was the servant. We see that um, several places. Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Uh, and it, the, whole, the whole text just repeats this idea over and over that Moses was the servant of God's house. Whenever you see Moses in the New Testament, nine times out of ten, it's a reference to Levitical law. That's what Moses is kind of synonymous with. Uh, and so there was this idea that the law was the servant of the house. The law painted the fence. The law mowed the lawn. The law moved the furniture and it prepped the meals. But the law was just a servant. The law was not sufficient to bring rest for our souls. It was insufficient to do that. And us rule followers in the room, I'm type A, I'm a rule follower. People like me know that the law and obedience to it is not sufficient to bring rest to our souls. The law exposes us as sinners, doesn't it? It shows us just how far off the mark we really are. And just how bad we are and just how much we struggle. The law is insufficient. And Christ comes through with this tidal wave of grace and on his, during his death and his resurrection, he sweeps through with grace upon grace upon grace. And the law tells us to do, do, do. And the cross of Christ spans across all eternity and says, it's done. It's finished. I've paid for it. First President, this is the message of the gospel and it's for you this morning. John Bunyan said it better than I ever can. He had a poem, and it said, Run, John, run, the law commands, but it binds my feet and it binds my hands. A greater command that the gospel brings, it bids me to fly and it gives me wings. There's grace for us. There's, there's rest, and Jesus is inviting us into this rest. And so we know this is in a physical location, but where is the house of God? Let's look at six. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are His house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The house of God, the home of God, is not 200 West Washington Street. The house of God is the souls of men. That God has made His residence in you and in me, and that he's taken up a home inside of us, and he dwells in us, and God dwelling in us is our ticket to soul rest. Because at the end of the day, we, we know that we need rest. And listen, God makes his home in people. The home of God is not a place, it's people. My home is not a place, it's people. I, my house is not a, a home at... I almost said my address, but that'd be really silly with all my students sitting here. I'd wake up and toilet paper would be everywhere. Um, my home is not a place near Greer. So there, that's vague enough. Uh, my home is myself. It's my wife, Carrie, back there. Uh, it is, Lord willing, when we have children, it's them. So I could live in my house or we could move and that could be my home there. My house is people. It's not a place. And when I'm around those people, I can rest 
and our soul needs rest. Everybody knows this. And God is inviting us into rest. Come and find your soul's home. He's inviting us into that. He wants to take up residence in your soul. And it comes with this grave warning. Verse 7, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. The author of Hebrews is laying down this familiar story of the Old Testament and laying our lives on top of it because some of us are right here. And so if you're not church folk, let me uh, run this story down for you. Israel was in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years, and they were longing for someone to come and free them. So God raised up Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, sorry. Um, God raised up Moses and led them out of Egypt. And in doing so, right after that, Israel, or I'm sorry, Pharaoh sent an army to recapture Israel. And that um, they came right up to the Red Sea. And then God, in just this amazing display of power, just kind of flexed his holy muscles and parted the Red Sea. And the Israelites crossed through. The scriptures say they crossed through on dry land. Uh, and then Pharaoh's army tried to do the same thing. And it didn't go so well for them. Uh, they actually drowned, if you don't know the story. And so after that, they, they traveled for about the equivalent of two weeks, and they walked right up to the cusp of the promised land. Um, pretty complex scenario. The reason we call it the promised land is because God had promised it to them. All right? uh, and so they send in 12 spies. These 12 spies go in. Two of them come back and say, guys, the land is beautiful, and it's ours for the taking. Let's go. Ten of the spies come back and say, they're right, the land is awesome, but the people that live there are huge. They are tall. I mean, that's the excuse. They're tall. Like God can't deal with 6'3 all of a sudden. Like, oh, just, he can dunk. I can't do anything about it. I mean, do you not remember that God just destroyed Pharaoh's army? And then there are other excuses. There's a river. I don't know if we can cross it. River. You just walked through the Red Sea, but I can't do anything about a river, sorry. And so God gets frustrated and says, go wander. If you're not going to accept the invitation into my rest, then you're going to wander. And so for 40 years, 40 years the Israelites wander. And here's the odd thing, they're wandering around in the wilderness and God is blessing them. God is leading them, the scriptures tell us, by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, and they're hungry, and there's no bakeries around, but bread just keeps showing up. Enough for everyone. It's almost like the whole thing was predetermined or something. And when they get thirsty, rocks just start pouring forth water. And I've been around rocks, and they don't typically have water in them. And God is blessing them in all these ways and they still can't see it. And they begin to grumble, and they begin to complain. I mean, seriously, can you believe that? Church people grumbling and complaining. Praise Christ, we've gotten past that. Yeah, and they complain. I mean, basically, they're in the wilderness going, I don't know if God loves us anymore. Are you going to finish that bread? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Why? Because they found themselves 
in a peculiar scenario that some of us are in today, that God has invited them into rest and they've said no, and they've walked away, and God is still being good to them, but their hearts have grown so cold that they can't see it, that they can't see that God is being good to them. First press, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if he calls you, today, if he asks of you something, don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. Don't do that. If he calls, if, he, if he's asking you to give up a particular sin, give that sin up. Go get help if you struggle with it. Go, go find one of the ministers. Come talk to us. We would love to help you. If you need to reconcile relationships, go do that. Today, if he calls you into ministry, pursue that. Today, if he calls you to missions, do that. God is making his home in a group of people who would say, you can have control of my life that I will submit to you and whatever you call me to do, as hard as it may be, I have faith that you're going to be there for me. So I'm gonna do it today if you hear his voice to it. And listen, I'm in, I'm in the battle, I, I get it. Um, I've been in ministry here for three years, really since I was like 16, I've, I've been involved in ministry. And I know that as soon as I said, especially about the sin part, go get help. I know that as soon as I said that, a little voice popped in your head and said, nope. Not doing that. What would people think? What would people think about me if, if they found out that I struggle with this sin or that sin? What would my wife think? What would my kids think about me? What would the people at work think? They might figure out that I'm messed up. Here's a, a hint from all my, uh, my years of ministry. You are. And the person next to you is the person next to them is, and the person with the microphone is, we're all messed up. That's why we're here. <laughs> because we've been saved by grace, and Christ has called us out of darkness and washes us and makes us clean. First prayers today, this is the gospel. This is your invitation into rest. And you only have two choices. There's no going back at this point. I've put you at a crossroads. Today, if you hear his voice, which he's calling you, you can either go into it and say, yes, I will do that, or you can walk away. And you can go the other way, and you can take steps into hardening your heart and being disobedient. And ultimately, the choice is yours. And some of us might find ourselves walking in obedience today. You have not gone so far that he will not take you back. I find in my life over and over when I feel far from God, it's because he asked me to take a right somewhere and I said, no, I think I'm gonna go left because I think I know better. And he's always there to take me back and he'll be there for you too. Let's pray. Father, you're there for us. You love us. You call us according to your purposes, God. We thank you that we can find rest in you because our souls are tired. Some of us in here have burdens upon burdens. Maybe we have children that have gone astray or we are struggling in our marriage or work. We can't find work. Lord, we're scared and we're restless. Help us enter into that rest today, God. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org. Join us for Summer Bible Camp at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Enrollment is underway for infants through rising first graders. Visit firstpresgreenville.org for details.